discrimination in sounds built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work that Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. In honor of Women's History Month, we are in conversation with activist, author, and educator Blair Amani discussing the importance of celebrating women who have made and continue to make history amid systems that seldom prioritize women's needs or celebrate their achievements. I'm director of podcast Taylor Camille, and it's our hope that this conversation leaves you inspired to continue to promote and support women's rights and gender equality in your community beyond the month of March with some tips from Blair on how to get there and get there without burning our candles on both ends. My name is Blair Amani. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am a Black uh, person of mixed heritage. I am a woman. I'm bisexual. I am Muslim. Um, and I try to teach people about social justice and depression through little fun videos called Smarter in Seconds on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. Definitely check them out. And I'm also hyperverbal. I love to talk. Um, and I love using that ability to help people learn. And I love oysters. And Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> well, first, congratulations on winning your case against the city of Baton Rouge. That is huge, huge news. Thank you so much. It feels really good. Um, not only that we were able to like set this really important precedent in protecting protesters' rights, but that it's over. Like, I don't think I realized how it's like when you graduate. Uh, from like high school and you have like that first week where you don't have homework and you're like oh oh this is great yeah yeah and it's like that relief that just comes over and then the weird thing of like and I was talking about this on my Instagram that I felt like less motivated than I did before and a lot Mm. of my friends were reaching out to me being like babe that's because like your body is like grieving because I've been holding on to all this stress in my body for the past seven years and you know, or like six and some, you know, months, years, but I didn't realize how stressful that was for me. And so now my body's finally like releasing and relaxing. And so I'm kind of in that moment right now. So today I was like, you know what, I'm going to work from home. I'm not writing anything. I'm not filming anything. I'm going to do this podcast with Well and Good, which I know will be very peaceful on my spirit. And I'm going to sit in bed and play solitaire, which is what I've been doing. And it's been nice. Amazing. I love that. I love that. I'm happy that you're slowly able to get back to some sense of self and some sense of normalcy. One of your your videos on Smarter in Seconds, you break down why it's important to celebrate Women's History Month. We're celebrating it at Well and Good, and it feels like we do it every month. But, you know, you share with your audience in that video, like, why is it important? Can you share a piece of that with our audience? Oh, absolutely. I think that so when it comes to celebrating Women's History Month, it's extremely important because we live in this global patriarchal system. And even, you know, the few, you know, kind of matriarchies that exist in some indigenous cultures, they just don't have that same standing power as, um, you know, the whole idea of patriarchy, which is a system of of society, a system of humans that is run by men, that prioritizes men and fathers in particular. And we see this in so many different ways, um, historically in the present, uh, especially as it relates to the right to abortion, like so many different things that are denied women uh, and people who also need abortions, but really go 
towards this angle of misogyny. And so I think that because patriarchy is just so ever present in our lives, uh, we sometimes take it for granted, but that's why Women's History Month is important because oftentimes um, women throughout history are treated as footnotes are, you know, like I remember there was like all the founding fathers and then we learned about the lady that sewed the flag who I think was also racist. So like it was right. just kind of like looking at it in that way where it's like, okay, so we're learning about somebody, we're learning about women as supporting characters as side characters as plot devices instead of learning about us mm -hmm. as the main event um, and doing that in a really powerful way. So I think that's why Women's History Month is important is because women are not footnotes in history. We are not side characters. We are not supporting characters. Yes, we support each other. Yes, we can support the movements, but we can also be the main event and fighting against that patriarchal system is super duper important. And you are adamant that there's an endless amount of topics I feel like that we can all get smarter about. I wonder what are some topics that have been on your heart lately um, and why has it been important for you kind of moving into this role as an educator and using your voice in this way? Well, I think that education can really be the key that unlocks so many doors. Um, oftentimes when people are taught to discriminate or are taught to be bigoted, it's a bit, it's a bunch of fear and misunderstanding. I mean, we see this mm -hmm. with racist, uh, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic conservatives who are doing all types of wild business right now, um, protesting drag story hours. Um, there was a, there's a bookstore in DC called Loyalty Books that was recently attacked. Um, Justin, you know, February, 2023 for having a drag story hour. And, you know, I, I'm definitely somebody who tries to believe that there's no such thing as bad people, just bad decisions and bad circumstances, which I know can be a mm -hmm. little bit naive at times, but I got to believe that to get through. Um, and so maybe mm -hmm. it's the case that some people, not necessarily the folks that are actively doing the violence, but those people who aren't standing up uh, in support of people that are just kind of like confused and bewildered and don't understand that there have been you know, less acts of, you know, child endangerment by drag queens compared to, you know, some religious figures. And we see that documented throughout history. And these are hard truths to, to sit with, but they're necessary truths. And so I think that as an educator, I try to broach those subjects. Like, you know, why is it important to celebrate Women's History Month when there's countless Black women that are being removed from the scope of education. We can't talk about systemic racism anymore. We can't talk about intersectionality theory. Like these things are real. They're terrifying. It makes you mm -hmm. feel like you're in the 1940s, but no, you're in the 2020s. Um, and I try to just be that key. You know, I can't get everybody to be on the same side. I can't change people's minds. But what I can do is provide some information in a captivating manner where it's fun to watch, educational to watch, and you don't, you only need, you know, a minute and a half max to learn and then maybe you can be equipped with the language that you need to take that learning further to start interrupting those patterns of harm. Yeah, we feel inundated with it day in and day out. It's like you don't want to add to your, you know, our plates, but we all need to be proactive in these conversations. And so you really are providing those tools that we can take into different parts of our lives and show up as, you know, the proactive participants that we should be. Thank you. Yeah, of course. This is not a history quiz, but I wondered what are some of those moments in history that have left an imprint on you or really motivated you to start and to continue the work that you do? So I think one of the most poignant ones, and it's really relevant for Women's History Month, especially a conversation between two Black folks, is um, around Sojourner Truth and her speech, mm -hmm. Ain't I a Woman? And the thing with that speech is that while there's a lot of compelling messages in it, it was actually rewritten by a white woman to make it in a Southern vernacular um, mm -hmm. or, you know, to be, you know, to be black English, more specific to the South, um, 
which to white audiences made Sojourner Truth sound, quote unquote, less educated. And there's a whole class elitism thing in there. But the fact that, you know, Sojourner Truth wrote this speech and then it was rewritten. And what we understand it today now is ain't I a woman wasn't even what she said. That wasn't even the type of English she spoke. And so wow. I think that it's poignant because there's so many aspects of our history that are retold to us in ways that aren't even under our own control. And so when I try to write history, you know, I'm a historian, I've written two history books, um, one modern mm-hmm. history, stories of women and non-binary people rewriting history. I did where most of the book is about people who are still alive today because I found it so important um, and so devastating when people like, you know, um, Aretha Franklin pass away where I feel like she didn't get nearly as many flowers as she should have gotten while she was alive. And we see this happen with countless different Black women. Um, We see this with Dorothy Pittman. We'll see these kind of posthumous honors. There's Black women today who are still alive, who are being marginalized, who are being harmed, who, uh, you know, I, I can't remember who said it, but it's this famous saying that the movement doesn't have a retirement plan because so mm-hmm. often we're not expected to live that long. And so what we see is a lot of our elders uh, throughout history and even in the present who fought these fights, the ones that weren't in the public eye or aren't still in the public eye are struggling, you know, paycheck to paycheck are being impoverished. Um, and so I think about that type of momentum, but also the work that's being done to to offset that. Um, folks like Moya Bailey, who coined the term misogynoir and did a, a, so much scholarship around that, um, mm-hmm. trying to raise awareness uh, for people who who need that assistance. And actually, Moya Bailey is actually doing ongoing uh, fundraisers for Demita Fraser, who was from the Kombahi River Collective. So there's these ongoing movements. And I think one of the most important things is that when we look at history, we think about history, it's easy for us to think about these black and white pictures and to think that it was so far away, especially because we're so mm-hmm. inundated with culture today, where I have more in common, I feel like, than somebody who is 15 years older than me, than somebody who's two years younger than me, just because I've lived my life offline versus somebody who's younger than me might not have, uh, depending on region and yeah. access to, to technology and such. But it's just like one of those things where uh, what what was long ago isn't as long ago. And if we look at the past even 200 years in the grand scheme of what it means to be a human being, we are more alike than we might think and that there's a lot of mm-hmm. fights that still need to be resolved. There was something on your Instagram and it made me think about the future. It really resonated in the post read, girls and women must be allowed the right to choose their futures or humanity will have no future. And you mentioned in the caption, like how again, not to be discouraged and the amount of fighting that we have to do for basic rights, um, but to be like encouraged by the amount of people that are doing it with us and the amount of people that are showing up. Um, And I've listened to you in discussion with others talk about, you know, really finding your stride and moving away from being an on the ground organizer to now being an educator. Another thing as we look at the future is that we can't we can't burn out doing this work because it won't you know, that won't serve anybody. So how have you learned to prioritize self? And, you know, this is a tough question, but avoid those burnouts, make those you know, career pivots and maybe use your use your skills in a different area that you might not have originally thought was was the path. That that's a great question. Um, you know, I have ADHD, I have anxiety. Um, I recently opened up uh, about having, you know, uh, instances or occasional paranoia, intrusive thoughts. 
Um, and I think part of my coping mechanism in, in working through that is always having something to look forward to. Um, and some people look at that as they can look at it as toxic positivity, but it's kind of like taking one day, taking everything a step at a time, a day at a time, but trying to look, okay, what am I doing in a week? What am I doing in a mm-hmm. month? And like having fun and exciting things to look forward to. And it doesn't have to be something extravagant. It can just be like, oh, I'm seeing this friend or I'm having this meal. And so that's one thing that has really gotten me through. But as far as pivoting and figuring out burnout, I mean, I remember I was in uh, college. I was a college organizer. I would go to my my history classes with giant like protest posters. And um, some of the teachers liked it. Some of the teachers didn't. But the head of the department <laughs> had my back. So shout out to Dr. Stater at LSU. Um, but my mom would always be like, OK, Blair, well, make sure you're partying. Make sure that you're also having fun. Don't get burnt out. Mm. My mm. thing was. I was having fun. This was like a party to me and that those things didn't need to be at odds with each other. The other thing right. that I was thinking was, what's burnout? Now, say that you've never experienced a hangover and somebody tells you what it's like. You're going to be like, nah, whatever. You know, most people are. I think that <laughs> happened with a lot of young people and things like COVID, you know, where like people, mm-hmm. there are some people who are like, they're just kind of living their life. Like, oh, I don't need to wear a mask here. I don't need to wear a mask there. And then they catch COVID and then it has devastating consequences on their health. So think of burnout that way as far as me. And I was somebody mm. and I still occasionally can be, though I am doing better every day because God is still working on your girl. Um, <laughs> no, nobody could tell me anything. You know, my mom be like, don't get yeah. burnt out. I was like, whatever. And so it really took me going through some trials and tribulations to get to the other side of burnout. And what that looked like concretely was me realizing you can't bear your soul on the Internet because not everybody mm. out here who's following you is your friend. Not everybody who is in your corner is actually rooting for you and they don't need to be in your corner. And that can be really difficult to learn in the thick of it and checking myself in for evaluations more than one time um, Mm -hmm. for mental health evaluations. And, you know, I'm really grateful that I had that kind of infrastructure. But I think that the scary thing is that there's many iterations of my life where I might not still be here, um, Mm -hmm. which is really heavy. But I think really is necessary to talk about because there are other people who might feel like they're in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that there has to be no shame around it. There has to be no couching of language about it. I just kind of have to come out and say it, you know, even going through the court case, I had such lofty ambitions for myself. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to buy these new mics and this new tripod and I'm going to make a documentary out of this. And when I got to the moment, and that's the biggest thing I think with my mental health is the ability to change my plans. And to go Mm -hmm. with the flow and to recognize what my current capacity is and to let go if it doesn't match the moment. When I got Mm -hmm. there and we were in court for the first day, it was jury selection. And we had this interesting judge who would play jazz randomly. So I was like, oh, this is a magical thing. He would play the the jazz (laughs) when the lawyers needed to talk amongst themselves, but the jury couldn't hear it instead of sending the jury out. Mm Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, wow, what a mystical. F- so I'm, I'm vibing. I'm feeling it. You know, it's not nearly as there's nice architecture in the courtroom. Now, that first day of actual court, when I had to see videos of myself and my spouse and my now friends being arrested brutally, I had to bring out the, the extra top tier anxiety medication. And I just realized, OK, well, my, ch- my plans are changing. And it was kind of a grueling week and a half of going through the most traumatic event of my life, the most traumatic hours of my life from every angle with scrutiny mm-hmm. of the opposing counsel trying to mischaracterize who I am as a person and all these different things and really recognize, okay, well, all I really can do right now is sit down, 
take notes, go home and go to sleep. And that's okay for me right now. Um, and I'm trying to do that right now in this moment. But I think that um, as women, and particularly as Black women, we have this kind of superhero expectation put onto us that we should be everything to everybody, we should please everybody, and that we should do all the things humanly possible. And what I've been trying to do uh, through reading books like Arrest is Resistance. So good. I literally so have necessary. It right on um, my desk. It's so oh, yes. good. <laughs> it's within arm's reach of mine mine as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Reading Restless Resistance, listening to the older women in my life, and just recognizing my own limitations and not feeling bad for them. I think mm-hmm. that a mixture of classism and ableism has put a hyper like priority on the how much can you do? And sometimes mm-hmm. you don't need to do anything. And as Trisha Hersey talks about, it's not so that you can do more later. It's not so you're resting up so you can do more. It's just to rest. Rest to rest. to rest. Yeah. Which is a concept that I feel like ha- just simply has not been made available or seemed like an option to us as Black women. Like, that's just not what we I mean, been- yeah. If you look at more women's history, like, the you know, white women were, pla- were praised for joining the workforce in the during World War II. Black women were already in the workforce because that's how we were defined Mm -hmm. in the United States as Mm -hmm. chattel, as, you know, from everything from the literal birth of offspring being considered labor, Um, where in some states, if I think uh, if a black woman gave birth um, to, I think, more than, I think, 15 offspring, you could earn your freedom that way. And then Mm. as we look throughout black history, the black people who have more children are treated less than as welfare queens and all these things. So it's like this ultimate catch 22, this ultimate mind uh, distortion. And then you look at the trauma from that that can be carried intergenerationally. And it's like, oh, this is why we're getting burnt out. This is mm-hmm. why we're exhausted because mm-hmm. the the idea that rest was allowed has not been something that, and is in many cases for a lot of black folks still to this day, is not something that's protected. Yeah, and there's so many thoughts. This could be a whole other podcast of just- <laughs> I always have to exhale, but I'm happy to know that these conversations are happening and given more space to happen and process. And, you know, we can share this with our community and say, like, no, you really don't have to, like, lift a finger. Like, you can just be. And that's enough. That grace alone, I think, goes a long way. Oh, it's life saving, I think. I think that Mm -hmm. just having folks like uh, Saucier West reached out to me. And just sent me a voice note yesterday and was like, hey, sis, I saw your story. I just want you to know you don't have to perform for us. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do. And I almost started crying as I'm like on the couch trying to like meet with my team, like trying to move things forward, but also being like, I just want to lay down. And in that moment, I didn't. But today, I think having that extra encouragement was really important. And that's the thing, like women supporting women, this is something that we have found Pat in our community as much as people mm-hmm. like to characterize, mischaracterize women as being, you know, competitive and all these things like that can be, that can just be internalized toxic masculinity it can be internalized toxic productivity, but what it isn't is inherent to womanhood. And so I think that women's history month, just going back to the entire theme is honoring that legacy of what it means to be a woman. And that doesn't have to be exclusively softness, which has been very popular recently. It doesn't have to be exclusively mm-hmm. strong resilience. It can just be, it can be unlabeled. It can be, you know, un 
constrained um it could just be yeah exactly okay and so how can we collectively continue to support women's rights and gender equality in our community and like beyond these like hallmark months that have been left bestowed <laughs> upon us <laughs> definitely i hope that the hallmark uh, collection has like a women's history month card because if not Let's yeah, collab, but, not, but I think that um, <laughs> one of the most important things, especially right now, um, and I just wrote an essay about this for Gay Times um, in support of the, the trans community and talking about gender, is that the more often we participate or entertain conversations that narrowly define what it means to be a woman, a man, a human being, etc., the more we are allowing the infiltration of people who want to take away human rights. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the biggest things is to not let human rights be treated and just the existence of different human beings that might be different from yourself be treated like a thought experiment. Um, and this has everything mm-hmm. to do from race, to gender, to national origin, to refugees, to like all these different things. And um, to really call out the insidious like when, when people are really like trying to try it, you know, when people are trying to play in human rights, call it out. Don't let it slide because Mm -hmm. it's a thoughtful essay in a big publication. Don't Mm -hmm. let it slide because it's somebody who you admire, you know, endorsing a really toxic candidate. Uh, And we saw this in LA specifically during the mayoral race, but really to like recognize when people are trying to play in your rights. And even when people Mm -hmm. are trying to play in other people's rights um, and take a step back and say, this isn't okay. And to listen to the communities when they're saying this isn't okay, because it doesn't matter what community it is. If you just became aware of somebody else's oppression, trust that there's somebody already in that community that's doing that work. So instead of trying to speak over them, speak with them uh, Mm -hmm. and just really lend your platform. And so I think using that formula, it becomes a lot more expedited to be able to be nimble about how you speak up on things because you're not going to get burnt out because you're not thinking oh i have to build this from scratch you're instead Mm -hmm. going and being like oh you're putting up this let me help you let me have my you know my energy my hands my resources go to that effort as well instead of feeling like you have to take the world on your shoulder because that can be something that comes from white supremacy and masculinity the idea that we have to be as individuals being the change but instead we can be collectives and we can be nimble in what it means to be a collective we can show up in solidarity we can coalition build um and to really listen to the people who are at the heart of an issue and not let them be silenced by those who are trying to define humanity in an exclusionary way On today's show, you heard me in conversation with Blair Amani. This episode was scripted, edited, and mastered by Sarah Gabrielli and produced by Jen Snyder, Abby Stone, and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Well and Good podcast.